It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hello and welcome back to another special edition of Miked Up on OM Radio. This is your daily COVID-19 news update for Lowcountry listeners. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. Today's date, it's Monday, April 13th, and the time currently, it's 5.56 a.m. And um, I'm reading the front page of this morning's Post and Courier. Uh, You know, today is the Monday following Easter, and so what we saw reported across the state of South Carolina uh, were a number of stories that featured uh, places of worship having to adapt to the age of coronavirus, to the age of COVID-19. Take a listen to this story. So when the governor came up with this idea that we'd be socially distanced, I thought that sounds like a really good idea. But at the same time, I wanted to make sure that these people in this place knew, even though we were practicing this socially social distancing, that we stayed spiritually connected. Hey, guys. How are y'all? How are you? I'm in. Thank you so much. It just seems fitting that we would also not let this virus keep us from sharing his body and blood and being connected as a community in this place. That reporting was courtesy of the state newspaper. They visited uh, Mount Hermon Lutheran Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. And so you can hear church leadership there speaking to the importance of remaining connected to her congregation. And so what you couldn't see, um, but if you were perhaps using the uh, theater of the mind there, you could hear cars and you can hear that she was um, outside. So basically like so many other church services that took place during Holy Week, uh, she was um, she was handing out communion uh, and it was in the drive through style. So um, it was great to see her donning PPEs and, um, you know, practicing somewhat practicing social distancing social distancing and that no one was getting out of their car no one was congregating in small groups um you know she exchanged words with um her parishioners and they drove off after receiving communion and so um that was consistent again that was consistent with what we saw reported all weekend so you know this is just how we're all trying to maintain routines maintain our faith maintain our 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 practices and and all of that right we're trying to do that in the age of coronavirus um but that being said let me catch you up on where we are first here's a snapshot of what the coronavirus is doing around the world and this is courtesy of wcbd our local nbc affiliate based right here in charleston south carolina As the world observed Passover and Easter in far from traditional settings, coronavirus infections across the globe have passed 1.8 million. More than 113,000 people have died. Across the United States, more than 547,000 cases of COVID-19 have been reported. More than 21,000 people in this country have died. The commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration says the United States is very close to the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, so that was more of a wider view of coronavirus or the COVID-19 outbreak and what the numbers look like both um, abroad and here in the country. Here's where we are with the most current DHEC numbers. 
State health officials have released the latest update on COVID-19 cases here in the Palmetto State. DHEC has announced 113 new cases of the coronavirus, bringing the total number to 3,319 cases here in South Carolina. The agency also reported two additional deaths related to the virus. One was an elderly person from Charleston County. The other person was middle-aged from Greenville County. DHEC says both of these people had underlying health conditions. So just to reiterate, According to the DHEC website, time stamped at 3.30 p.m. Sunday, April 12th, we currently have a total of 3,319 total positive cases reported for the state of South Carolina, uh, and uh, we have a total of 82 deaths attributed to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. So those are the most current numbers from DHEC. And again, if you visit the website, you'll see the data presented a little bit different um, from what we saw earlier on. Um, so now the data more like uh, it's more specific to population dis density. So um, among the top 10 counties with total positive cases is still Charleston County. But near the top of the list, we have Kershaw, Clarendon, Lee, Richland and so on and so forth. But Charleston is sitting at number eight in terms of the top 10 counties with uh, <clears throat> pardon me with the total uh, positive case list. Uh, so that's just something that you might want to note when you visit that website. Um, now I'm going to uh, switch back to uh, a story that I reported on twice, at least twice last week regarding the furloughs at MUSC, the layoffs at Prisma Health, these large healthcare systems, these hard, large hospital systems uh, f lay laying off their staff. And I, I kept scratching my head. I couldn't understand how are nurses and critical staff like nursing nurses how are they being laid off during a pandemic? So I stumbled across this Planet Money clip this weekend from NPR that I think is worth a listen. It features key leadership from MUSC. Take a listen. We, we went from making several million dollars a month to losing almost 30 million. Oh, my gosh. In, in, in less than a month. Uh, so what, do you, what, did you, what did you do? How have you handled this? So we've done a lot of things like cut back on non-COVID supplies. And we put together a, a what we call a workforce realignment plan. Uh, some people received a cut in pay. Some received reduced work hours. So, uh, we temporarily laid off almost uh, 900 uh, care team members. Oh, wow. I mean, 900 people is, is a lot. That's a lot of layoffs. What was it like to make that decision? I would say it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make in my entire career. And I've had some tough decisions I've had to make, but I would put this right up there as the hardest one. And because these are, it's a great team. I mean, I've really worked with this team a lot over the last 15 to 17 years. I know them well. I know many of them on the front lines. I worked with them years ago. Uh, I got emails from a lot of people. I got a lot of supportive emails from people who said, you know, I've, understand what you got to do. Um, and sorry you had to do it, but I'm here and I'll be ready to come back. And I got other Aww. people that weren't as nice about it. So it's a, it's a sad day. Today is the day in which we were not seeing those people at work. They were temporarily laid off yesterday at five o'clock and they're not here today. So it's hard. Although I told the rest of the team that's here, let's 
deal with the uh, sir. So you just heard the voice of Patrick Carley. He was being interviewed by the folks over at Planet Money. And that uh, excerpt from that interview, that was a, a more recent episode of Planet Money. So hopefully it gave you more perspective as to why the layoffs are occurring. Um, and I know many of you already arrived at the conclusion that, hey, less revenue means um, less support for uh, support, less support for the workforce. Um, it's unfortunate to hear folks have been uh, laid off and furloughed. But as Patrick stated, I'm glad that the workforce realignment plan, which is a fancy way of saying laid off. <laughs> I'm glad that the plan does include um, a reentry portion, like they're planning to have folks come back and, and rejoin the team. So that is reassuring. But it, it's sad that our current healthcare system in this country is, is more is geared is engineered to more um, to support just treating illnesses as opposed to helping folks remain well. So I, I think you can see that and how, you know, because we have, we have a need here. We have a need for testing. We have a need for care. I reported last week about the disparities in um, black communi communities and non-black communities of color who are disproportionately suffering from COVID-19. Um, there's so much care um, immigrant populations, folks who work at at um, plants, you know, process the meat because meat is in high demand. Um, folks who work at mills who are producing paper, you know, these populations are still working hard and um, they're they typically don't have access to health care. So the medical need is here. Um, but unfortunately, um, taking care of, of um, marginalized communities isn't as lucrative as other um, other ways so or other types of medical needs and concerns um, so that's just my little shtick that wasn't really well articulated but you get what I'm saying <clears throat> we pretty much incentivize you know treating ill people as opposed to helping to keep them well so anyway that's from Planet Money and hopefully it helped you understand why all these layoffs are happening at Prisma Health and MUSC so there is relief coming and especially as we approach the peak of the coronavirus outbreak. Um, I wanna switch now to a story I heard, another story from NPR that featured some teachers. Now, it's a montage clip, but it does feature the voice of one South Carolina teacher. And um, it just it just really made me um, feel really, huh, feel for our teachers. Um, I wanna, I, I want to, us to remember that they're dealing with displacement and and a lot of a loss right now, too, as we see in so many other states, schools have decided to close for the remainder of the year. That means no graduations, no proms. I was speaking to a parent this weekend and, you know, their high school seniors pretty bummed out about that. So um, but here's something. Here's a piece from NPR um, featuring the voices of teachers from across the country. And there is a, a, a South Carolina based teacher. Uh, in this clip as well. So take a listen. Okay, Corey, stay with us because your team talked to three teachers about how they are dealing with all this. And I want to play some of what those teachers had to say. Let's listen. My name is Hannah Klumpa, and I teach at a Title I middle school in Greenville, South Carolina. My name is Tu Nguyen. I'm a sixth grade teacher in Washington, D.C. My name is Jamie Gordon and I am a third grade teacher at a religious private school in the Richmond, Virginia area. Everything happened so quickly. When we closed, we 
had no idea what we were going to do. We, I didn't have lesson plans for e-learning because again, no one knew that we were about to close. Before you leave, you need to make sure that you are also prepared to be out of school for a month. This is while teaching just full time anyway. So nothing about our regular jobs changed except that we were also being asked to create a distance learning plan on top of it. I, as a teacher, am always thinking about how can I lead by example? And if I don't know how to use these programs, then how can I expect my third graders to do so? I thought we had gone over all the important things, but in my first day, one of my students showed up to a video call, not wearing a shirt, just, you know, like didn't think about that at all. <laughs> Some days I post like videos of myself giving those instructions, like where they're at least seeing my face. Um, one time I gave them from the middle of Target parking lot. Um, just so that they could see what's going on. I am a nurse. I am a counselor. I'm a cheerleader. I mean, the list goes on. That is also part of my job that I was hoping I'd be able to do virtually. I became a teacher to, to build relationships with my students and to essentially be like a carer, like this is a caring profession. And that one-on-one, -on -one, like face-to-face -face interaction, I think is what I'm really gonna miss. We will not be returning to school for the rest of the year. And I'm sorry, I get emotional when I say that. It's really hard to say that out loud because I've already had my last day of school with my students and that is really difficult. And I did not get to properly say goodbye to them. And, you know, so I'm trying not to think about June and I'm just thinking about this week. And so really that's what my focus. Those candid testimonials from those teachers, oh, it, it really, it tugged at my heartstrings. Uh, you know, I feel for so many people who currently find themselves challenged by coronavirus, afraid, anxious, and to hear these these teachers, these educators from both South Carolina and, and throughout the country, just to hear that commonality, that common thread between them all, that shared experience, that, you know, where they're trying to overcome the barrier that is, hey, I don't have a classroom. I'm teaching without a classroom. Um, I'm teaching without seeing my students, they might have, you know, teachers that might have uh, issues with, you know, their students having access to uh, special needs counseling or um, internet access, food, meals. I, so shout out to all of the teachers, all of the folks who work to keep our school system going, um, not just the teachers in the classrooms, but the counselors, um, you know, the support staff, uh, the lunch cafeteria, food workers, uh, just just uh, my heart goes out to them all. And I hope you all found that um, story compelling. Again, that came from NPR. That was a story that was published over the weekend regarding um, just our, our teachers out there who are struggling right now with school coming to an abrupt end, um, not seeing their students transition to the next phase of their educational career. So yeah, um, it's, it's a tough time for a lot of folks, families and educators. Um, I'm going to uh, end today's, uh, today's update with I'm going to continue my, my uh, I guess not a tradition, I'm going to continue my, my habit, my routine of including some African-American healthcare facts. Um, I want to make sure that we pay homage to and remember the black folk from this state 
who blazed the trails here um, for for medical advancement. And again, this is inspired by um, our recent coverage or coverage that I've read largely throughout the state of South Carolina that references uh, healthcare history, that references medical achievements and has it and how it relates to COVID-19. But however, they forget or they willfully leave out uh, African-American contributions from right here in the Palmetto State. So um, I'm going to leave you with this tidbit that I found from good old Walter Edgar's journal. Um, and it's about Anna DaCosta Banks. And it's a nurse, uh, a healthcare prof- a professional, a trailblazer, an amazing, wonderful woman, um, someone who needs more recognition here. Um, I hope you all learn more about Anna and her advancements. And I hope it encourages you to go out and seek out these historical figures that are, are lost to obscurity. Um, and so uh, now also hope that you press our local media outlets to to stop uh, reporting through an omissive lens that doesn't take into account not just black folk in our culture and our contributions, but that of indigenous folk, that of um, other non-black people of color and communities of color um, and folks on the periphery, um, folks on the, on the margins, I should say. So take a listen to this excerpt about um, Anna DaCosta Banks. And until next time's next update, um, I'm, no, I'm rambling a lot today, y'all. Until next time, please, y'all stay happy, stay healthy, stay whole, stay home if you can. Please stay home and help flatten that curve. And to all my Gullah Geechee folk out there, y'all, y'all stay black. This is Walter Edgar with South Carolina from A to Z. B is for Banks, comma, Anna DaCosta. 1869 to 1930, nurse. Banks was one of the first students to earn a diploma from Hampton Institute's training school for Negroes in Virginia. Returning home, she was the first head nurse at Charleston Hospital and Training School. DaCosta dedicated her life to nursing and seeking more equitable health care for African Americans. Promoted to superintendent of nurses, she devoted more than 32 years to this hospital and nurses training. She also was a visiting public health nurse for the Ladies Benevolent Society of Charleston for 24 years. At her death in 1930, she was believed to be the oldest trained nurse in the state at that time. In 1959, when McLennan Hospital was relocated closer to the medical university, it was renamed McLennan Banks to reflect Anna DaCosta Banks' influence on regional health care.